From KPMG, this is Global Perspectives with Hala Mohideen. Hello and welcome to Global Perspectives, the podcast series from KPMG focused on the big international issues and inspiring leaders helping to shape a more sustainable world where CEOs and their companies can flourish. On this month's episode, we've read the novels and watched the Hollywood movies where a chance encounter transforms a person's life. But our latest guest is living proof that short interactions with strangers can change everything. When Kamal Ahmad was a pre-med student, she had lunch with a homeless veteran and it was a brief conversation that radically altered her career path. After discovering the former soldier hadn't eaten in three days, she attempted to donate excess food to a school's dining hall, only to discover the pitfalls and challenges of risks and bureaucracy. It was a challenge that led Kamal to set up Copia, a business that uses a tech platform to match leftover food with non-profits that can pass it on to those in need. Kamal, thanks for joining us on Global Perspectives. Thank you so much for having me. Now, your story is incredibly inspirational, but at the same time, this can't have been an easy decision to make, abandoning a prestigious chosen career path to become a socially responsible entrepreneur. Talk us through that. How did you come to that decision? You know, it was this one fateful lunch. You know, my journey to solving world hunger began when I was a student at Berkeley. I was walking down Telegraph Avenue when I encountered a homeless man who was begging for food. And, you know, something about him compelled me to stop and invite him to join me for lunch. And during lunch, he sat across from me just inhaling his food. So he was unbelievably hungry. It wasn't like a ploy for anything else. And in between bites, he shared a story. He said, my name is John. I just came home from my second tour in Iraq. I'm waiting, I've been waiting weeks for my military benefits to kick in. And because they haven't, you know, I haven't eaten in three days. This really hit home for me. I mean, this is a veteran someone who had given the most selfless sacrifice for his country, one that I'm about to do, only to come home and to face yet another battle, that of hunger. And then adding insult to injury right across the street, Berkeley's dining hall is throwing away thousands of pounds of perfectly edible food. And so it's this very stark reality of those who have and waste and those who are in need and starve. And those two people literally right across the street from one another. And you know, growing up, perhaps like some of you, I was reminded by my dad, Ekomal, don't throw away your food. People are starving in Pakistan. And though well-intentioned and true, what I realized after my lunch with John was that hunger is prevalent, not just in the poorest nations in the world, but in some of the wealthiest ones. I mean, take, for example, in Silicon Valley, one of the wealthiest places, not just in America, but on the planet. One in four don't know where their next meal is coming from. 
Meanwhile, in the U.S., over 365 million pounds of perfectly edible food is wasted. And to kind of wrap your head around that number, if you imagine the world's largest football stadium filled to its absolute brim, not with like last night's pad thai or this morning's haffing croissant, but untouched, unopened, perfectly edible food. That's how much food goes wasted every single day. So clearly it's not a lack of food that's the issue, rather an ineffective distribution of that food. Meaning that hunger is not a scarcity problem, it's a logistics problem. And it turns out food waste is also a logistics problem and it's this logistics problem that I became like hungry to solve. You spotted the opportunity and clearly something needed to be done, but on a personal level, that was quite a risk, was it not, to uh, to throw? So, so how did you come to that decision? And, and was it not a worry? It was like not really like a risk. It was like, so I went up to our dining hall managers. I asked them, what do they do with their excess food? They said, well, we try not to have any. And I said, well, how often does that work out for you? And after a lot of pushing and prodding, they admitted that they do have excess food, but they have to throw it away. And so I said, well, why would you throw it away when you could go right across the street to people in People's Park and donate it? And they said, because of liability, we don't do that. And I was like, yeah, you know, homeless people's high-powered attorneys are standing by just to sue you. Like, John, the homeless veteran, can't afford a hamburger, but somehow he can afford a litigator. And more than that, you're going to sell this food to us 10 minutes ago at full price. So you're saying 10 minutes ago, it was good enough for Berkeley students. And now 10 minutes later, it's not good enough to feed people who are actually in need right across the street. Where's the logic? And it was this, like, it was just this ridiculousness that I wasn't going to, like, I wasn't going to take this for an answer. So I did my own research and I discovered that in 1996, Congress passed what is called the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act. And it protects all donors, regardless of whether you're a corporation, organization, or individual from any liability. And get this, in the last 26 years, the number of lawsuits or legal claims that have been filed against any business or individual that's donated their food has been zero. Like everyone and their mother has like a second cousin twice removes uncle's hotel that shut down because they donated food when that's never happened. So I like print this out. I demand a meeting with the executive director of our dining hall. And I say, you know, I want to start this food donation program. This is the right thing to do. Here's all the protection. I would be pretty persuasive when I want to be. And in less than 10 minutes, he agrees. And so we went off to start one of the nation's first food recovery organizations on a college campus. So it's essentially like students picking up food from our dining halls, our on-campus events, our stadium, our arena, and then redistributing it directly to the community. Great start hugely inefficient. You know, one day I'm sitting in class and our dining hall manager calls. He's like, hey, Komal, you know, no one came to this event. So we have 500 gourmet sandwiches left over. They need to be picked up in two hours. Otherwise, we're going to have to throw them away because we need the fridge space. So do you want them? I'm like, yeah, I want them. He's like, great. Come get it. You have two hours. Mind you, I'm sitting in class. And so I grab my bag. I dash across campus, I jump into a zip car, I go through all these one-way streets up to our loading dock, and I begin loading this food into the trunk of my car. And it's perishable food, right? So it's to move as quickly as possible. And so I'm blasting the AC, and I frantically try to get these sandwiches in the trunk of my car. And so I finally do, and I slam the trunk, and I'm like, Phew. thank God this is amazing food. Of 
course there's going to be nonprofits that want it. And so then I proceed to call 30 plus nonprofits in Berkeley, in Oakland, even as far as Richmond. I'm like, hey, I have this amazing food. Could you use it? Hey, I have 500 gourmet sandwiches. Do you need them? A third of them don't answer the phone. A third of them say, no, we're okay. We don't need any more food today. Thanks. And the last third are like, actually, you know what? We could use 10 sandwiches or 15 sandwiches. I'm like, great. Now I have 485 sandwiches. I swear I was summoning my inner South Asian grandmother. I'm like, hey, you, you look so skinny. Take this food, take it, eat it. Just like random people on the street. And I remember being pulled over to the side of the road so frustrated, thinking, why is it so hard to do a good thing? You know, why is it so hard to do the right thing? Where are all these hungry people at? I said, one in four, where are they when I have this amazing food to give them? And it was this frustration that was the birth of my inspiration. You know, I thought how much more effective this would be if those who have food could say, hey, we have food. And those in need of food could say, hey, we could use that food and we match these two people, clear the marketplace and solve a real problem for both of them. And so to answer your question, I saw a real opportunity to make a massive change in a way that medicine couldn't. Like medicine is only something that, in my opinion, could could put a bandaid on a problem and couldn't solve it from the root where you could help people on a like a monumental scale. And I had the ability through entrepreneurship to help people on a monumental scale. And that's that's what I was able to do. Well, you've come a long way since trying to shift those 500 sandwiches. Uh, your business was established in 2016. But I understand that you've now donated well over a million dollars worth of food to good causes. So it does sound like you're going from success to success, but there must have been a lot of hurdles to get where you are. What were the biggest obstacles that you faced? I mean, there's so many, right? It goes from hiring, it goes from fundraising. I mean, like, if you think about it, when I first started out, if I had said, okay, well, how am I going to take leftover food, give it to poor people, and somehow make money off of that? You know, Copia is a for-profit company. Like, we are a company that believes you can be for-profit and for-purpose. I think that's something that people just automatically assume we're a nonprofit just because we're feeding hungry people. But, you know, we, we are a um, public benefit corporation. So... We are a venture-backed company, and the way that we provide value to the, the businesses that we serve is by helping them both have an easy way to request pickups of their excess food. So I guess just kind of like even getting the technology to work and getting the technology right was one of the challenges. So copious technology helps commercial kitchens, restaurants, businesses to easily and effectively redistribute any of their excess edible food to those who need it most. So we make this process smarter and faster than ever before with web and mobile platforms that allow you to easily request pickups of your surplus food and have it matched and easily delivered to nonprofits in on average 26 minutes or less. Um, so that whole process makes, I make it sound so simple, right? But there's so many steps there. 
there's the logistics, there's the technology, there's the communication, there's the nonprofit management. There's so much involved in that. In just a moment, we'll return to our interview with Kamal Ahmad. But first, let's hear briefly from KPMG's Global Head of Healthcare, Dr. Anna Van Pook. Anna, we've heard from Kamal Ahmed today, an entrepreneur who's focused on tackling hunger and waste. We're all aware of the huge challenges the world faces right now, from wheat shortages to supply chain issues and rising costs. From your healthcare perspective, are we facing a potential humanitarian crisis? Well, I think there's definitely need for worry in the sector and there's definitely need for worry for the state of our healthcare systems. And what I see is that very often COVID-19 has been considered a black swan event, you know, which is still lingering on. However, what we see actually is that COVID-19 has very much unveiled the underlying cracks in the systems. And that's what we're starting to suffer from now. And if we look at the, you know, the whole supply demand side of it, uh, incredibly pressures on reducing supply. So workforce shortages, financial pressures due to an inflation, we have less money to spend. But even if we had the money, we just wouldn't have the workforce to supply uh, healthcare services. And at the same time, what we see is an increasing demand, which will linger on for quite a number of years, and that's due to aging populations, multimorbidities, uh, more non-communicable diseases, and at the same time, technologically and pharmaceutically, there is more possible. So, so that supply demand is really putting pressure on the system, and we see worldwide backlogs, waiting lists, all increasing with the risk of having unequal healthcare systems. Last but certainly not least is that due to the war we see now in Ukraine, but also, you know, refugee streams due to climate crisis, we think that we will have uh, quite substantial migrations. And then the question is, of course, the country where everybody's flooding to, how are they going to cope with the increased healthcare demand? Well, you've touched on it there, but let, let's zero in, leaving aside the uh, the challenges facer, facing wider society right now. Let's look at the healthcare sector more specifically. The last few years have obviously tested the industry. How is the healthcare sector emerging from the pandemic? And has this global crisis fundamentally changed the profession? Yeah, in KPMG Healthcare, we were, of course, very curious, what has the COVID, what has COVID-19 done to the sector? What's the effect of the pandemic? So what we did is we surveyed 200 CEOs worldwide in a, in a, in a whole range of countries. And what was actually quite amazing was that the answers we got to the surveys and the answers we got to the in-depth conversations that we had were so alike worldwide. COVID-19 has been a huge accelerator of change and transformation. Post-COVID, 97% of all these CEOs said that, you know, COVID-19 had accelerated their transformation efforts. And 78% say that they expect that within the next three years, all aspects of healthcare will be transformed. Now, if you, you know, if you, if you trim that down a little bit and you say five years and you say 75%, that's still a huge transformation that's going to take place. And that's what we're actually seeing is that the pressure is getting so high that the need for transformation is increasing. And in COVID-19, for example, 
in Medicaid, the number of telemedicine, telemedicine and teleconsultations increased by 63, by a factor of 63. That's just, you know, uh, that, had, that has never been seen before. If we look at the transformation, now what will transform, that's mainly all front office. So that's all to do with healthcare delivery. So more customer centricity, we will move towards integrated healthcare systems where healthcare will move out of the hospital into the community. Digital, definitely digital delivery as care as one of the biggest transformation, uh, transformation to deal with workforce challenges and new partnerships between public private companies, uh, telcos, uh, uh, tech companies, life sciences companies playing a much more important role. There is one downside to that transformation. You see that in the survey, everybody uh, expressed the need for transformation, the willingness for transformation. If we see how it's actually matched up by actual investments, that's lagging behind. Uh, uh, so a lot of uh, uh, a lot of intention to transform, the capability to transform is not big enough. Okay, Anna, thank you so much for joining us on Global Perspectives. Now let's return to our interview with the co-founder and president of Copia, Kamal Ahmed. The business you've got sounds incredible. It's you, You've seen this needs, that you've seen a way that you can directly help, that you can get hands on. For a company that, for example, is in, I don't know, that, that sells clothes or a company that, that does tax and accounting, for example. They also want to, to help and contribute to society. Is there anything in their skill set that you think could help drive societal change or help those less fortunate? I mean, how would you advise uh, other businesses? I'm no more skilled than you are to like change the world. You know, what makes me any different than you? What makes me, there's nothing that makes me more righteous or more capable. I just have the will and you just have to have the will, the desire, the gumption, you know? And like, I believe that we can all agree that it is about time that humanitarianism met modern day technology. You know, by virtue of being here, we all have more power at our fingertips than entire generations that came before us. The world may not remember what we say here today, but they will remember what we do. So what will you do with the power that you have? The urgency of today requires leaders, not necessarily by rank or title, but who are unstoppable and unfazed. Leaders who refuse to leave life to the status quo, because they know that if change is going to happen, it's up to them. It, it was really interesting to me when you talked about how you were harnessing technology and harnessing existing companies to, 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 to put your vision into action, really. It can seem really depressing, you know, with everything going on in the world, with climate change, with the, the crises that, that we variously go through. Would you describe yourself as an optimist or a pessimist moving forwards? When it's about something that you're so deeply passionate about existing in the world, be it a better future for the world, be it trying to eradicate hunger in the world, be it 
free and fair elections, be it eradicating child poverty, be it whatever it may be. It's not about optimism and pessimism. There is no other option. It's about making it happen. That's 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 great advice. That's very inspirational. Kamal Ahmed, thank you so much for joining us on Global Perspectives. I'm Halima Hiyadeen. Join us next month where we'll be chatting to another inspiring business leader. And if you want to hear more of KPMG's global podcasts, head now to home.kpmg.